Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Check In by Travel Marker Report. We're really excited to kick off this season of Check In with a guest that sort of echoes back to our mission statement at TMR, and that's a travel advisor. We know it's been an extraordinarily tough couple of years for everyone in the industry, but advisors in particular were hit hard with bookings drying up and commissions withheld and a very uncertain future ahead of them. I have to say it's really been an inspiring couple of years talking to travel advisors who have survived and are now thriving through this chaos of the demand snapback that we're all experiencing. I know there's been a ton of consumer headlines recently about the advantages of using a travel advisor and, and trying to introduce this concept to consumers who maybe weren't familiar with it, which is something everyone in the industry was well aware of before COVID became a part of our vocabulary. But it's still incredibly encouraging to see advisors getting the recognition they truly do deserve. So I'm very happy to say that my guest for this episode is one of those travel advisors, Melinda Fortunato, the owner of Best Travel, a Fairfax Station, Virginia-based travel agency. I was really excited to talk to Melinda recently, not only because of her experience in the industry, she's been an advisor for about a decade now, but also because she was recently honored as the Travel Advisor of the Year by the American Society of Travel Advisors at its global convention in San Francisco last month. She was honored with that award not only because of her success with Best Travel, but also because of her outstanding dedication to advocacy. I'm really excited to share the conversation with you all. Um, we talk about a lot of things, including Melinda's childhood, growing up in a military family, something that first started her love of travel, and then her early days working at a brick and mortar agency. I wanna thank you all for listening ahead of time and let's check in with Melinda. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Yeah, but thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, yeah. I know I know how busy all all travel advisors are, so I, I always feel very lucky stealing in half an hour, 45 minutes of people's times. Well, good. Well, I appreciate the offer. It's, uh, you know, it's great to meet you in person. And yeah. as I said, I, you know, I every Thursday at one o'clock, I would look forward <laughs> to, I mean, it was like, okay, what, what are we going to learn next? What's going to, mm. you know, and it really kept us going. So it was great to meet both of you in person. Yeah. And also congratulations. I know we saw you prior to the announcement, but congratulations on the award. It, it must it must feel pretty, pretty outstanding to be able to be recognized by, by an organization like ASTA. It really, yeah. I mean, it was amazing and, um, you know, and unexpected. And I love ASTA. I've been involved with them. And, but, you know, I mean, everything that they've done for our industry, not just travel advisors, but our whole industry the last couple of years is um it just really means a lot and they work really hard for us so it was it, yeah. yeah it was a great honor yeah uh yeah so i mean i wanted to ask you first starting off is just like because i i've had this conversation i always have this conversation with advisors especially at events like asa but i mean business seems to be improving for everyone i i know there's conversations about uh not having enough time or not having enough staff now for a lot of agencies everyone seems fairly optimistic about how things are trending in, in the industry um, it, it is definitely, I mean, it's, it's crazy busy and it's very different busy too. Um, you know, there's challenges that go along with that and, um, it's whether we're understaffed or, uh, you know, our travel partners are understaffed, uh, you know, we're just trying to make sure that clients are going to be able to travel safely and come back with great memories. And so, and I think that as far as being optimistic for the future, I do feel like we've, 
we've learned how to work with COVID and, yeah. you know, and adjust. Um, and the people that are traveling and feel comfortable traveling are doing that. And the people that aren't, aren't. And so, um, you know, if we can, uh, as we move forward, I guess I'm not as, I hate to say this because I don't want to jinx myself, but I, I don't feel like all of a sudden in January, things are going to shut down again, or we're going to have a lot of restrictions. We're just learning to live with it. Yeah, it, it does. It feels a lot more stable, I guess. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably an interesting way to think about it. Cause it does, we're never gonna be able to predict things, but it seems, there seems to be less unpredictability, <laughs> at least in the short term future. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, you know, testing, getting back into the U.S., that was a game changer for so many people. And when I, there's some PTSD even thinking back to, and that, was, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, so it definitely makes makes life easier. And, you know, the challenges, I mean, we're still with the flights, you know, and the domino effect of canceled flights, you know, I'm, I feel for the, for the staff of the airlines that are dealing with the people that are unhappy every single day. And I feel for us because we're trying to solve the scramble and solve the problems and getting text messages from our clients at three o'clock in the morning that their flights were canceled, you know, so, um, and then reaching out to our partners and, but I think it's all part of really adapting and, and seeing how the industry is going to move. Um, I was having a conversation earlier about that, where we're really, you, you have to have people that you really trust that you're working with. So having, um, having a niche and having people that you're close with and can communicate and you know that they're going to answer you right away um, is really, really important in having these relationships and making sure that you can keep these trips going and keep everyone happy. So I think that it's, it's going to evolve um, more as a result of the challenges that we have. Yeah. So, I mean, are you being more selective with your partners? I know that's been a conversation because not only because of whatever, but also I know during COVID, there was this thought that advisors should reward the partners who were implementing policies that were more favorable to them or more fair than other than other suppliers. But it always, in my head, the, the question always remained that the client was driving a lot of these decisions, but you seem to be on the side that you, you can get a little more selective with your partners. Well, I think that the first thing you have to do is whatever's in the best interest of your client. But I think choosing the right partners and you know what that looks like as a travel advisor, as the expert, you know what that looks like and why that's going to be a benefit to your client. So the client is always, of course, first, but the travel partner now, what I'm looking for is, I mean, hold times are significant, you know, sitting on a hold. So if, uh, so that's something I'm going to look at. If I have a choice between two companies that might be similar, but I know I'm going to be able to get through and have more response from one company, then I'm definitely going to choose that. Um, or having our business development managers that are really on top of things. I mean, I have my favorites and and they make all difference in the world of me being loyal to them. Yeah. So because I, I know that they're going to be my advocate as I'm trying to advocate for my clients. So those are definitely the things that I'm looking for. Okay. Um. So I wanted to ask you, we about your background in travel, because I know you have an interesting background. I, I read a bit about you on on your your agency's website, and uh, mm -hmm. I thought I, I I thought I think you share this with a lot of people. I mean, but you you sort of grew up traveling, is that right? Yes, I I did. I uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and so I was a military brat. I lived in Antigua when I was two. Um, I lived in Korea for two years, which is probably the best experience of my life. Um, when I was like in around fourth grade 
And, um, and then I ended up, my husband was in the army. So we lived in Germany for five years. Both my kids were born in Germany. And my, my oldest daughter, who is studying in Spain now, she just moved there last month. Um, She, she visited nine countries by the time she was three. So it is definitely part of, part of me ingrained in me. I've always wanted to, to, to travel and be involved in the industry somehow, some way. So you said Antigua, right? You you yeah. started with Antigua and then Korea. And you said Korea was the best, ex- you think Korea was your best experience in living anywhere? Well, I think it really gave us the opportunity to experience the culture. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's significant, I think. And that's what people are looking for now more when they're traveling too, or a lot of people are. And so to, in, in the age that I was, it really gave me a chance to understand it, to be understanding of other people, of other cultures and to, love the food and try it even though it doesn't look like it's going to taste good and um and and just really really love the differences yeah how old so how old were you when you were in korea because i can't again like you mentioned the food and that jumps out at me too because i can't imagine sort of the prototypical young child being a picky eater would have an easy time in korea i was i think second to fourth grade okay yeah so two years so I was you know what seven six seven seven eight somewhere in there okay yeah and so and I think it's always how how it's presented to you as well my parents were always really good about oh we don't have to move here we get to move here oh, okay so it's always how it's presented and you know I mean I've done that with my kids as well and it worked I mean my daughter's in Spain <laughs> <laughs> I mean when you're that young and you're moving and you, I, you understand, I guess, why, but do you, do you realize, I guess, what sort of gift you're getting in a way, uh, being able to experience the different kind of cultures, or is it just sort of what you perceive to be your normal life? It's just normal life. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and then, you know, you get the double side, you do get the best of both worlds because you have the comfort of being around other Americans and being on a military post and having some of the things from home or from the States that you're used to, but then also being able to you know, to, to have the delicious food. And I mean, I still love Korean food. Still one of my favorites. I make some of it, love it. So, and I, and I think that those experiences helped me in travel now. So when I'm looking at, you know, planning a vacation for someone, I, they're only going to be there for two weeks, but I want to give them as much of that feeling as they can get. It's very different being able to live someplace and truly understand the culture and the people and the food. But so that's really, I think, some of the insight that I that I try to give to them. So how do you how do you go about that? How do you do that? I I know two weeks is isn't a long time to be able to sort of understand how people are existing in a different part of the world with a completely different culture and language and things like that. But I mean, how how do you sort of take on that kind of task? Well, of course, it depends on the client. So it's always really listening to what they want. And there's definitely some that want to go check the box. I want to go to Rome. I want to see the Colosseum. I want to see the Vatican. Um, I want to see the Trevi Fountain. And I want to eat pizza and pasta. And then I want to come home. And then there's others that really are looking for the sort of out of the way experiences. And, And that comes to choosing your partners as well, finding those partners on the ground who can provide those experiences. Um, I mean, one of my clients, her, the favorite thing was in Tuscany. They went out for wine tastings for the day and they ended up in this family owned villa with a 90 year old grandmother and they made pasta with her and walked around the vineyards with her and ate lunch with the whole family. I mean, 
you know, that's something that is really unforgettable. Yeah, that is that is something that's unforgettable. I don't think I get to do that enough where I live even to be able to understand the people around me, right? let alone in a foreign country. You mentioned Rome. I mean, what would you, I guess, off the beaten path, if someone was headed to to Rome, you what what would sort of your be your your plan to present them with what they could do to be able to pursue that kind of thing? Well, sometimes it's um, I mean, there's just definitely some quieter areas of Rome, more where okay. the locals live, finding the food tours and the tour guides that are going to take them to those areas. You know, there's areas of Italy in general that not everybody is going to, um, and you can definitely see in through COVID, you could see some of the areas that are we're really trying to push uh, travel there. So. And and that's what I love about Italy. It's one of my favorite places. You could go there 10 times and do something different. Just going back to what we were talking about, I mean, you you grew up in sort of military family. Do you remember at what age or at what point you realized you wanted to pursue a career in travel? I mean, did did it come accidentally or did it was it something you very much did on purpose? Um, a little bit of both to that, but I, it was always something I wanted to do. I remember there's a game called MASH where you're like, I don't know if you remember that to write on a piece of paper and it was, you know, then a mansion, an apartment, a shack or a house. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I remember playing. And, and so I was always going to live in France someplace. And, you know, so even then I always wanted to live overseas. I wanted to explore the world. And so that I definitely always knew that that's what I wanted to do. And then when I met my husband in college and we got married and we, you know, started moving from place to place and I got a job working in the relocation department on base. Oh, wow. And that allowed me to, I was basically teaching soldiers and their families how to get excited about moving. So learning about their next, so in a way, I guess I was a travel advisor for, you know, for the army and for uh, their families getting ready to move. So I did that for a few years and then uh, we ended up settling in the DC area. And when my kids got into school and I, we used a travel agent for, to go to Disney world. And I said, okay, this is the time. Um, so I called her and I asked for her advice and, and I started getting a certification and, and that has led to where I am now. That's, that's incredible. That, that the first part of the story where your, your job was helping families relocate that, that, that seems like such an incredible opportunity to be able to interact with people and to be able to help them with these sort of major steps that they're taking in their lives. It was, you know, and it was about, and it's scary, you know, when you're, um, a younger family and maybe you you have never lived overseas and all of a sudden you're going to live in Germany for three years or Korea for two years. So it was a great opportunity to teach them all the things to be excited about. And not always, you know, sometimes it's a challenging. I remember having a conversation with someone moving to Shreveport, um, uh, Gossip was in Shreveport. It was a small, I can't remember the name of the post in Louisiana. Okay. And somebody else had just told me that they built a big super Walmart there. And that was something that people were excited about because there hadn't been anything like that before. So it was just, you had to find, you had to find the good and the positive and, and you did. So it was, um, it was fun to, to see that light spark when they, you know, could get excited about their, their next duty station. So how, what was your experience like when you sort of started getting into selling travel? I mean, was it, was it an easy thing to do, especially with the background we already spoke about? Was it, uh, was there difficulty sort of understanding how travel agencies work and operate and things like that? Yes. I mean, because there's still, there's a lot of lingo that goes into it. Yeah. And so, you know, understanding and loving travel and loving the culture and seeing the world is, is important. And I think having that foundation is important, but I, I worked in a brick and mortar part-time for a couple of years. 
And that was a really great experience. And that was after I got my certification. That was a great experience because it, they had some, they, they gave me a good foundation as far as realizing not every client is a good client. They were starting to charge fees. They were starting to be selective and not always selling air unless it was part of a package. And I think that, that it was early before a lot of other agencies and travel agents were doing that. And so it really gave me when I, and then I left and went on my own and I had that ingrained in me, you know what, I don't have to take this. This isn't going to be the ideal client. How much money am I going to make? But it was, it was really important to get that foundation from them, to learn the lingo, to listen to, um, you know, how they're interacting with the suppliers and the importance of those relationships and also with clients. So there's still a lot to learn uh, to, to get into the industry. And then even then, the sales process, and I think that that can be very personal, is, you know, what, what works for you? And uh, it took me a while to realize I wasn't a library, but I was trying to make money. Because while I love to talk about it, then I, you know, once I was on my own, I was like, wait a minute, no, you know, I'm trying to make money here. This is my business. And so that, that I, I became a lot more selective in the clients that I was trying to work with. Wait, so you, you said you took it a while to realize you're not a library. Does that mean you, you took, you took it a while to realize that people have to pay for your expertise for the knowledge you've built? Yeah. I mean, it was really about, it, it was making money. Yes. I'm, I, this is my business. We're not here just having a conversation about travel and how great it is and all the cool things you can do when you go to Italy or which cruise line you want to go on. No, this is me using my expertise to send you on a trip and then I'm going to get paid for that. So that was a, that was a bit of a transition there. And then, you know, definitely evolved. And as the industry has evolved, even pre COVID, you know, with fees and, Again, really knowing that you don't have to pick anyone. And that's a hard thing when you're starting out to not realize every client is a good client. You get a lot of people that waste your time and waste your energy. And But when you're starting out, you feel like you need to try to help everybody. And I think some of that is you have to learn how to say no and you have to learn how to move on. Um, so that's just part of, of, of the beginning. It does feel like a lot of advisors are grappling with that very thing right now because maybe they have PTSD from those early months of COVID or the first year of 2020 when they had zero business. But mm -hmm. I keep hearing about advisors being overwhelmed with the amount of bookings that are coming in. And I do hear some tell me that they, they're turning away business. They're becoming more discerning with who they're doing business with, et cetera. But I know there's a lot of advisors out there who are still trying to sort of drink from a fire hose uh, with, with the amount of uh, inquiries they're getting. Right. And I think that that's where the fees are important. And I think fees are important, not just because their time is valuable, not because you're just trying to get away from shoppers, but they're important because you need to make sure that you have serious travelers. And that's important, not only for your time and your business, but your travel partners. So when I'm reaching out to my suppliers to work with them, they know that I have someone serious that is probably going to book. You know, I mean, the whole times are ridiculous and the turnaround time to get itineraries is so long. If we have serious travelers and we're not giving, you know, itineraries to our to our DMCs and our travel partners for people that aren't going to book, they would have more time to work on the serious um, travelers. So I, that's all that's all part of it is. And then the workflow, you know, we're very fortunate now and it started pre-COVID, but it definitely ramped up. So much automation that's available to us now and workflow opportunities. It's so many tools that we can use to make our workflow much faster and more efficient. 
Wait, so automation, where where are you seeing that make the most impact in your business? Because I know I know suppliers are trying to do what they can to build these staffs. And a lot of that, a lot of them are looking towards AI and other kinds of automation that will take some of these tasks away and make it more easy to do something without being able to talk to a real person. But are you you're you you seem to be saying you're seeing some automation already make an impact in how you're working. Well, the automation that I use. So, for okay. example, Travify and Travel Joy. Um, I'm still all for talking on the phone and talking to a real person. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I I read. I think I read a blog post you've written or you were quoted in. It might have been from your local chamber of commerce uh, from a few years ago. But you mentioned that something that you love about the job is being able to have wins uh, with your clients. And I was hoping you could talk to me a little bit about that. About uh, what do you mean by wins? And I, especially for the travel advisors out there who are sort of searching for what they love to do and, and why they love this job. Uh, just just talk to us a little bit about what what having a win would sort of mean. So I think when I when I, I think I know what you're talking about, <laughs> that would actually sometimes, you know, sometimes you have challenges. Yeah. And when you can overcome those challenges, um, that's a win to me. So whether it's a client that you're not really sure if it's like a really big booking um, that you're able to to get, that's definitely a win. But to me also, it's uh, I had a client years ago who um, I was trying to make this sale and it was a big one, and he kept kept pushing back, kept pushing back, and I said we need we need a, a phone call. So we hopped on the phone, and that's why I say I think the phone call was one of the best sales tools you can have because when they can hear your voice. And they they understand that you know what you're talking about. I mean, I was shaking when I when I was on the phone with him. And by the end of it, we had an understanding, and we were able to move forward. And he had a fantastic trip, trip, and he's still a client to this day. And so that to me is a huge win. I will say also, there's wins where you have a challenge, a potential client, and maybe it's someone that you have a conversation with, and you realize mm, I don't know if this is going to be the right fit. And you charge the fee and they walk away, that's a win to me. And I think that that's important for people to realize when they're thinking about charging fees, when someone walks away from you and doesn't want to pay your fee, that's a huge win because you've just opened up your time to help people that do value you and do value your time. So so that's a win to me too. Okay. So I guess it's just moving things forward. It seems like to, to be your philosophy, like making being able to make a decision and not waste time seems to be very important to you it is and then just also again just having your clients just really appreciate you and come back and they feel you, you have a real relationship with them so i guess that's what the real win is is having relationships with clients and some of the things that they say to me you know they they feel like they can call and just really talk to me and and we can figure things out and whether it's before or after their trip that's the other i love talking to them when they get back and hearing what they liked, what they didn't like, what would they do different? Because of course, that's going to help me learn for next time and for their clients. But they really appreciate those those phone calls and that that personal relationship. So yeah. those are all wins. I know there's a lot of new school advisors who are maybe not even picking up the phone anymore. But from from a lot of the successful advisors, it it just it seems to just come down to 
uh, being able to talk to people on the phone and being able to make a personal connection with them. Even the 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 best advisors seem to be easy for me to talk to, and I and I kind of feel like they do that on purpose to 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 everyone they meet. To it's just sort of their routine to build this relationship, to ask the right questions, to to connect on a personal level. Well, it is, and if you think about even you know after when they changed uh, from travel agent to travel advisor, that's because we're not just issuing tickets anymore. So if I was just trying to book as many trips as I could really, really fast, then I would want people to go to my website and book it. And but this is about this is about relationships and this is about really understanding them. And this is about having them for client as clients for 20 years and having their kids and their grandkids. And I think the phone call is or the Zoom or whatever is really, really important. It's funny, I really don't meet in person very many of my clients, but it is the phone call is essential. Yeah, it, it seems like, I mean, the brick, not having a brick and mortar, I guess, would play. But I mean, there's other possibilities of meet people in person. But everyone talks about the impact of, of the pandemic. And I know a lot of things have returned back to pre-COVID and a lot of things remaining. But one thing, just, one thing that seems to be remaining that is such a big tool is just being able to connect with people on video. It, 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 it feels as close to face-to-face as you can get. It was funny. I, I did a... Uh, I... I'm under Nexion. I'm a Nexion agent, and I had uh, they'd asked me to speak at their Connection conference in 2019. And one of the things that I spoke about was the human connection and how that is really our 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 value and our strength is providing that human connection. You're not just going to an OTA and booking something online. You know, we are. You have us to really be your advocate all the way through. And then I thought, how ironic, 2020 hit. And no one wants the human connection. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's the last thing everybody wants. But but then we realize we need it. So 2020 also helped us realize, no, we we have to have that. I was never a hugger pre-COVID, and okay. and I absolutely am now. I didn't realize I needed that too. So the human connection is is really really important. Yeah. Um. So I don't want to take up your whole afternoon. I know we've been, we've been going for about 26 minutes, but I do want to ask you because. You were honored at the La- the Asses Global Convention uh, in San Francisco late last month. Um, I wanted to s- just sort of ask you how, how it felt to be recognized by Asta uh, and by your peers as well. Um, and, and why do you think you've been so successful, not only as an advocate, but also just, just as a travel advisor? Well, with Asta, you know, I've, I've been a member for, for many years and our, our local chapter wasn't that active and a few of us right before COVID got together to try to figure out, okay, what can we do to, to build this back up? And I was fortunate enough um, that same year, 2000, early in 2020, to go to Legislative Day, which is just a game changer. It's such a fantastic experience to see the difference that you can make um, to go on Capitol Hill and and be a part of that. So we so then COVID hit and we just started rebuilding our chapter. I mean, I, I've you know we've had a team, of a team of people uh, in our in our industry that work together to do it. And we started just having virtual happy hours. And so we did started with nothing and just started growing. And I think that made a big difference. And as soon as Asta said we want to start doing you know try to have in person events, show people that they can move around and they can do things. And we you know our local hotels were hurting. And so we started doing hotel site inspections. We've got some gorgeous, fantastic historical hotels around DC. And so, so really we just started trying to grow it that way. And so being involved with ASA has been really important um, and, and helping this chapter grow and being involved and they're really changing and growing. And, and, and I think that 
that it's going to make an even more difference in the future of our industry. So it's been important for me to be a part of that, and um, and they are so supportive of us as well. And then, you know, I think as professionals, no matter what industry you're in, you have to be involved, and you have to, if you love it, you want to help it grow. And if there's challenges, then you then you get involved and you make it better. And that's how I feel about ASTA. That's how I feel about our industry as well. And I think that when people hear that and they um, they they see that you're passionate about what you do, then that makes them they that makes them want to to work with you. So I think as far as being a travel advisor, that's what helps in my success as well. So how are I mean I assume. You, you you spoke about your effort you made to rebuild or build your chapter. I mean, how are things with your chapter right now, is membership-wise or even just sort of interaction-wise? Great. I mean, we, you know, it's, it's, we have Virginia, Maryland, and D.C., and most of Virginia. There's a, there's a chapter, Hampton Roads in Southern Virginia, and, but we continue to grow. We have new faces. We've got a lot of great volunteers. We have a full board of people that really believe in ASTA and and, you know, we've got some great supplier partners that, that are involved and, and also that are or even serve on our board, a few of the, our supplier liaisons that serve on our board. So it's going really well. And we've got some great ideas for the future. So I'm excited to put those in place as well. Okay. Um, so I have one more question for you and then I'll let you go. But I, I mean, with the amount of time you spent in the industry and also you, you just spoke about advocating for, for your colleagues and for other advisors, whether they're members or not, I mean, there seems to be a lot of new faces coming into the industry. I'm sure you see them at conferences too. And I'm curious, I mean, what would you tell someone who was thinking about this kind of career uh, for their future? I mean, is it something you would recommend? Is it something you would be, be warning them about? Is it? Is there anything else you would sort of tell a prospective travel advisor or travel agency owner uh, prior to them making their leap into travel? Well, I think that it's really important to to go into it. I think you have to, it's no, somebody's not going to get into this because they don't like travel. So there are, that love of travel is already going to be there. And I think that be informed, find where you can get your certification, know what you're talking about, realize that you aren't, you're not going to just be doing this for your basement. You have to be networking. The world is big. We can't know everything. You don't have to know everything. You have a whole network of others that, um, that can help you. And um, so I think that is, is huge, is realizing you really need to be connected in your industry and involved in order to be successful. Well, again, thank you for the time. Uh, I was really nice. To, again, it was really nice to meet you in San Francisco. I've seen your name a lot. So it was nice to sort of see you face to face. And yeah, thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk to me today, too, because, again, I know how incredibly busy a lot of advisors are these days. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for yeah. reaching out. It was great to meet you in person, too. And um, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yeah, I'm sure I'll see you again soon. And uh, yeah, have a good have a good weekend, too. All right. Thank you. All right, thanks a you lot. too. Bye.